If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Hello and welcome to episode 299 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we have been a, a listener sent in a pearls versus turds candidate that came from actual LSAC. It's oh. LSAC's own thoughts on logical reasoning. Are you excited? I am excited. I'd love to know what they think. I have been yeah. pleasantly surprised sometimes in the past and sometimes very disappointed. Yep. Um, I'm not going to tip my hand at all, but I, I already have an opinion about their <laughs> advice here. Okay. Um, Oh, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it to myself and see if you agree. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about last week's lesson. I don't know if you had a chance, Ben, to read my column about slowing down to speed up and asking better questions, but we can chat a little bit about that. We have a logical reasoning question from Protest 73, and we have a variety of stuff in the mailbag, including an update from uh, Sarah, who we talked about last week was making a decision about University of Wisconsin Madison uh, versus uh, uh, at a full ride versus UT Austin and okay. paying for it and we yeah, gave yeah, her I remember strong that. advice to take that scholarship, especially because she prefers Madison to Austin anyway. So yeah, uh, we can all find out what Sarah decided to do. I'm, a, I'm on about to this start this week's show. Awesome! I'm about to start crying, man. My uh... <laughs> whoa, my eyes. I don't know. I think oh. I have allergies or something. So, anyways. Um, it's also just touching to hear you introduce the show. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, this show is going to air on Monday, May 24th. That means you've got five days still to decide whether to change from the June LSAT registration, uh, to any future registration. You can do that for free all the way up until May 29th. I would not recommend waiting until May actual 29th. And instead, I would do it on the 28th or the 27th just to be sure that there's not a glitch in the LSAC matrix. Um, if you're close, what do you think, Ben? Take the test, right? If yeah, you're if close, you're close, take the test, especially if you still have a lot of takes under your belt. So, yeah, right, well, especially what I mean boy, by if that. it's your first attempt or if, yeah. You, yeah, if you've got lots of remaining chances at it. Law yeah. schools only care about your highest score, so... If you don't have any scores on record and if you're within single digits, let's say, of your goal, you should probably go ahead and take it. On the other hand, if you're 20 points away, you know, you're not going to magically improve 20 points in a week. Um, yeah, even 10 points, I would be a little hesitant. Yeah. 10 is, yeah, some, there's a gray area between 10 and 20, you know, I, I mean, well, I don't <laughs> Single digits, do we agree? Just yeah. take it. Yeah, just take it. I if it's more than the that, the smaller then... it gets, the more likely it is it makes sense to just go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we've got, uh, oh, that, that test, by the way, is going to be uh, the week of June 12th. That's the June LSAT testing week. We have a registration deadline coming up after that on July 2nd. That's the registration deadline for the August LSAT happening. Um, in mid-August. Okay. Uh, before I forget, I want to make sure that I invite everybody to my June LSAT study group. It's my favorite class that I teach throughout the week. We've got a big, vibrant community of people all studying for the upcoming LSAT 
for free once a week. Um, you can meet me, you can meet other demon staff, you can meet other people who are on the same journey as you studying for the LSAT. That's Thursdays at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern, and all you need is a free LSAT demon account to get invited to that class every week. Um, basically, it's a week weekly check-in, you know, on a commitment to study a little bit every day. And it mm -hmm. uh, seems like they're doing it. Um, I love it when people actually follow <laughs> my advice. But, uh, you know, you get them to buy in like, hey, guys, do you want a better LSAT score? Would you like to commit to studying a little <laughs> bit every day? <laughs> and they do. And good things happen. Yeah, you got to turn that, act that goal into action. And that action has to be small and today, right? Yeah, and that weirdly making that little commitment to complete random strangers um, does something. I think it, people have told me that they, you know, are they remember to study because they committed that they were going to study. It's like this. I don't know. It's just, how dumb are we? You know, humans. <laughs> we're just. Yeah dumb animals but like you can train yourself essentially to like do something that you know you want to do and that is good for you yeah um ready for pearls versus turds let's do it all right why don't you guide us through this okay so this is from ronnie s uh, in pearls versus turds we take some piece of advice that's out there in the multiverse and we assess whether that advice is a pearl good or a turd bad right now we have 13 pearls 45 turds and 23 ties so as you can tell the multiverse is filled with a lot of <laughs> shitty advice um yes. this is from again ronnie s and he writes hey team i was curious to read what the lsac thought about logical reasoning their advice surprised me is this a pearl or a turd okay uh, so this is on their website. It's under the section, the LSAT, and they have some tips here. And the title is Suggested Approach for Logical Reasoning. Uh, it's not long, which is nice. It says, read each question carefully. Okay, I'm going to take this one sentence at a time. I couldn't um, disagree with that. Read each question carefully. Wait, each question. Yeah, I'm sure they're referring to the question as a whole. <laughs> and not the question stem. So I'm going to say that's good. Yeah, they could have just said read carefully. Mm -hmm. Sure. We are going to endorse that advice. Yep. You do need to read carefully on the LSAT. Yes, okay. Yep. Make sure that you understand each part of the question. You Make sure. Yeah, I agree with oh, that. Oh, the meaning of each part of the question. You skipped oh, part of the I words there. That part. Okay. Make sure that you understand the meaning of each part of the question. Yeah, I agree with that. Make I mean, again, they could have just encompassed that. Read carefully. Yeah. Covers that. But, you know, they're doubling down on their advice to read carefully. Okay. <laughs> That's what we do for a living. That's what we do for a living. Yeah. In case you missed it, what we mean is <laughs> really make sure you understand what was said and what it means. I have to shake people. I, I mean, I you know, for real. It's like, hey, read that again. Mm -hmm. What? No, read it again. <laughs> Those words don't mean what you think they mean. Yep. Read it again. Like you didn't read it carefully enough. Read it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I know. Because I yelled at you 10 times to read it carefully. Yeah. 
and actually understand it. I mean, they're they're doubling down on make sure you understand the meaning of the words on the page. You have to actually understand it. Pearl cool. so far in my book. Yeah, this is good. Make sure that you understand the meaning of each answer choice and the ways in which each may or may not relate to the question posed. Um, I think okay. there's a pearl there. I actually think there's a there's a really useful bit there. Okay. What's your What are you excited about? Well, we're talking about the answer choices, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure four out of five answer choices are wrong, right? Yeah. Make sure you understand the meaning of each answer choice and the ways in which each may or may not relate to the question posed. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I think is a real pearl there is that this is the makers of the test just straight up telling you that the wrong answers they don't even have to connect to the question at all. Mm -hmm. They're just lots of times. They're just a different issue. They're just like that ain't that's not that's not what we're talking about at all. I know. And I when think, you say that's not what we're talking about, you're referring to the passage like the answer choice doesn't relate to the passage. Is that what you mean? It just straight up doesn't answer the question. Yeah. Like they're, I would, you know, that's how I'm interpreting this. It doesn't, they're asking you to strengthen and this doesn't do that. Yeah. Or it's a paradox question and it just does not explain the paradox. Yeah. Or it's a really whatever question and it just doesn't answer the damn question. Like I think a lot of times students, they fall in love with an answer choice just because they like the words. They just yeah. think. They're like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe that statement makes sense to you and your opinion or something. Like you just, you like that sentiment. Yeah. But it does not relate to the question posed. It's just not answering the question. You're not, you're not doing the question. You're just picking an answer you like without thinking about whether it actually answers the question. And so the thing here that I think is a really useful teaching bit, or it's just nice to see the LSAC, you know, explaining it in this all seems pretty straightforward. I, <laughs> I was thinking that the people who write the test actually wrote this advice, not the people who administer the test, but the people who wrote the test. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are two yeah. different groups of people. Yeah. And the, the bewildering, like left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing changing deadlines, shifting things around, not knowing what things mean. That's not the LSAC that wrote this. Yeah. This came from, this came from someone who really does understand like probably the people who made the actual test. Yeah. And they're just what they're doing is they're telling you here, maybe I'm being overly generous, but I it seems to me that they're telling you, "Hey guys, you know, many of these answers like they're not even close. They just don't they don't relate to the question that was posed. It, mm -hmm. It's real easy. We, you could have dismissed that answer because you, if once you understand what it, it, the question means and when you understand what this answer means, then you realize that this answer does not relate to the question. Yeah. And it's just easily a wrong answer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 
I want to talk about one thing here. In the second sentence, it said, make sure that you understand the meaning of each part of the question. And then in the sec third sentence, it says, make sure that you understand the meaning of each answer choice. And I would suspect, at least if I were saying this, one thing I'm trying to get at if I were writing this by doubling down on that word meaning is that so many people read answer choices um, and they focus on individual words, right? Mm -hmm. But the meaning is in the collection of the words, not in the individual words. Um, obviously, there is meaning in the individual words, and we talk about what those individual words mean, but you have to take them in the context of the sentence as a whole. I mean, an extreme example is, I ate whale, right? It's like, okay, um, that has a certain meaning, but I could take those three words and I could say, um, a whale ate me, <laughs> and now it means something entirely different, right? But we're still talking about the three same, like we're using the three same words, eating, whale, and me. But depending on how you arrange words in the sentence, they can have a very different meaning. And so, so many times people are focusing on a word that matches some other word in the passage, but it's like, yeah, but in the, in that sentence, in that answer choice, yeah, it actually weakens the argument or as they're saying here, has no relation to the question being posed. Yeah. And so um, I think that's why they're doubling down on this idea of meaning. People's concerns yeah. are like so narrowly focused. I find myself asking people to read it again. And I find myself going, yeah, but not just one word, read the whole thing. And then they'll read me three words or five words. Mm -hmm. Like they'll expand a little bit and mm -hmm. they'll just read me back a slightly broader little phrase that they like. And I'm like, no, I said, read the whole thing. It's the meaning of the whole thing. Lawyers don't read some of the words. Lawyers read all of the words. <laughs> what yeah. does that mean? The whole damn thing, not just some phrase that you think is a good match. Now, to be clear, if you're struggling to understand what all those words together in one sentence mean, yeah. then you can slow down. But it's a process in which you're reading the first part of that sentence, understanding it, and then continuing on so that you know what yeah. that sentence as a whole means, not yeah. what one part of it means by itself. Yeah. And you can, isolation. you can sometimes eliminate wrong answers because of some small part of it. Yes. I mean, there. it's enough that sometimes one small part of it poisons that answer choice entirely where it's like, well, there's no way this answer can possibly be right because it said this. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe that just doesn't address the question or something like that. It's like, no, that's not what we were talking about. That's not the answer for sure. So a small like one word or one phrase can definitely eliminate an answer. But one word or one phrase never, ever, not once makes an answer correct. Absolutely. Well, that's because for something yeah. to be correct, the entire answer has to be correct. Whereas for something to be yeah. wrong, only one part of it has to be wrong. Yeah. Right. For the very same reason, right. It's the exact same thing, right? It's two sides of the same coin. Yep. You can eliminate an answer because of one word or one phrase. Mm -hmm. That means the answer that you pick, you're vouching for every word and every phrase. And you have to make sure that the meaning of the entire thing is good without anything different or extra or wrong. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, they continue here. Do not pick a response simply because it is a true statement. <laughs> yeah. I like that answer. Well, great. Does it answer the question? Although true, it may not answer the question posed. Yeah, I, I do feel like <laughs> the test writers who probably get, um, maybe they get forwarded complaints. Can you imagine that? Like, oh, hey, we got, here's a, a few test takers have pointed out their concerns about this answer choice. And oh, they're threatening a lawsuit because this answer right here is clearly a true fact. Or whatever their claim is, right? <laughs> like, we think this is flawed or illogical for this reason. And some guy, Joe, in the back room is like, I wrote that question. And <laughs> it's not correct because it doesn't relate to the answer or the question being posed. And they. Yeah. Well, and, and here, though, they are specifically saying, yeah. don't pick an answer simply because it is true. Yeah. The, I don't care how true, you know, the sun rises in the east every morning. Yeah, that is a true statement. That is a fact. We, yeah. you know, that, that has never not happened. But that doesn't mean it's the answer to the question. Yeah. The question could be about dinosaurs or anything. I mean, it doesn't just, <laughs> but I have, you've seen students do that. Oh, yeah. Well, did I ever tell you about there was a student in my class once who was like an avid gardener and the the wrong answer to one of the questions I think it was a must be true question was talking about planting some type of plant in acidic soil and the <laughs> the the correct answer talked about not planting it in acidic soil and I was like okay well this is correct because given what the passage said you know this is proven and she was like, yeah, you know, I, I understand why that's correct. And I chose that answer, but it's actually dead wrong. The, the, the wrong answer here is true in real life. Now, I don't know if that student was right, but she was pretty adamant about it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, but that that's irrelevant. It's not the point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? And, and she got it, um, but just kind of proves the, or kind of provides evidence for the point that sometimes they may even write an answer that they know is true in the real world, but false yeah. given the context of the question and what they said in the passage, which we have to accept is true regardless of its truth in yeah. the real world. More commonly, they make it completely abstract and made up, right? So more more commonly, you know, they can just say all X are Y mm -hmm. or all widgets, all, you know, by Acme Corporation are whatever. And it's like, okay, well, we're clearly talking about fictional stuff, but the game that we're playing is we have to just be we have to accept it as, well, that's what they told us. So that's what we're going with just for the purposes of answering this question. But they can even go all the way, you know, like if we were writing the LSAT, it would be a hell of a lot more fun because we would write, we would write, we would write logical reasoning questions that would start like murder is good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, since citizens should do all good things. And since John is a citizen, John should murder. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the purposes of argumentation, we would have to, we're going to accept the premises and argue with the conclusion. So yep. the conclusion John should murder, you know, we could talk about whether that is or is not proven by those facts that I just invented. Mm -hmm. But the facts that I invented, murder is good. Citizens should do good things. John's a citizen. All those things, we would just have to say, okay, check, check, check. Yep. If those things are true. Yep. It's like for purposes of argumentation, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And you you have to just roll with it. It's no, yeah. they're never ever 
are testing your opinion or your morals. Yep. They're testing your ability to just read and play this game and accept facts that are meant to be facts and then think about whether those facts justify some other conclusion has nothing to do with your knowledge of reality or your opinions. Yeah. Okay. So last And again, paragraph. notice Ben, mm -hmm. again, the, again, they're like tripling down now in that little short paragraph that they wrote there. Although true, it may not answer the question posed. Yep. <laughs> like, does it answer the damn question? What they're telling us here is that the test makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an important thing that every LSAT student has to learn. The test makes perfect sense in the minds of the test makers. And, and you put that qualification in the minds of the test makers, but I don't think you need that. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Period. It's just, I mean, yes. you have to accept their presuppositions that the statements in the passages are true, at least the ones that are presented as evidence. And, but then once you accept that assumption, I, I think it logically follows from there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it's a way of, it's a way of teaching it. I think, you know, to, to say, Hey, listen, the people who wrote this test, this question made perfect sense to them when they wrote it. There's one answer here that really does answer the question. And there's four answers here that do not. Yeah. And you do have to be, I'm not saying you have to go out of your way to try to help answer choices. But what I am saying is you have to be generous enough with one of the answer choices that it clicks it like has to, it has to make sense. Mm -hmm. So whether that's making sense for yourself or making sense for the fictional test, you know, the test maker you've never met, or just saying that it objectively makes sense, mm -hmm. saying the same thing, you know, it, it's like, there's, there's one answer there that really does answer that question in a satisfying way. And there's four answers that don't. Yeah. All right, the last paragraph says, answer each question on the basis of the information that is given, even if you do not agree with it. Yeah, so we don't care what you think of the information in the passage. Just accept it as true if it's presented as evidence. Um, work within the context provided by the passage. Okay. LSAT questions do not involve any tricks or hidden meanings. Yeah, I, I, I want to actually talk about this last idea, any tricks or hidden meanings. I, I know people feel like that is the case. Um, we get questions right through the ask button a lot that are like, well, on the LSAT, does... Right. does yeah, it, as does... opposed to like rational, logical use of language yeah. and, re and, and reality... Yeah. On the LSAT. Exactly. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, exactly. So it'd be like, so the one I just saw, I think yesterday night was on the LSAT. Does some mean, I, I understand that it means at least one, but I thought that that meant, um, you know, not most or something like that as it does in real life or something like that. That's like, no, actually, some just <laughs> means at least one, and you have no clue whether that's, you know, more than half or not. You just, that's the nature of the language. And 
I understand you're imposing an additional meaning on it in your everyday life, but you're actually wrong. <laughs> yeah. Look it up in the dictionary. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the definition that the LSAC is using. The test is written by a bunch of lawyers. When lawyers write documents, they are thinking about litigation. Yeah. Like they, 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 this test is, they, they are writing it as much as they possibly can to be litigation proof. So they looked up if there's an uncertain, you know, what does this word mean? Mm-hmm. They looked it up in the dictionary. Like they're going to be able to show up in court to defend themselves with like, well, this is what that word means in the yeah. dictionary. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, people are like on the LSAT and it's what they really should be thinking is, well, in normal life, we misuse the language sometimes. And in normal life, we're illogical, right? Like false contrapositives <laughs> yeah. are tested on the LSAT precisely because they want you to rid yourself of that kind of folly, right? Oh, if we if we don't get the um, new computer software, we're not going to meet our deadline. Oh, does that mean that if we get it, we're going to meet our deadline? Like people jump to that conclusion. Oh, people all the do time. that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Or like a uh, yeah, or like the false the the false uh, dichotomy. You know, like the well, if we do that, it's going to be really bad. So we have to do this other thing over here mm-hmm. that they're not even like looking at. It's just yeah. like jump out the window kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> which people do that in real yeah. life all the time. You yeah. know, it's just like, well, if it's not this, it's got to be this other thing, no matter what that other thing is. And without mm-hmm. even, con- you know, considering the consequences of that other thing, that's the type of shit that, yeah, they test all the time and they see if you'll make those everyday comments, you know, failures, I guess, of common sense. Yeah. Cool. So turd, I mean... <laughs> I'm so used to saying <laughs> so pearl, yeah. uh, several pearls really in, in that one yeah. introduction. Yep. I already updated the scoreboard. Um, that was a good job. LSAC for a, uh, I agree that there are, there are several pearls there. I was surprised that Ronnie was surprised. He's a demon student, by the way. And when he said that, um, their advice surprised me, I was kind of like, ah, Huh. I wonder what it was there that they said that surprised Ronnie. Maybe Ronnie was surprised that their advice was so sound. That could be it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could certainly be it, but it could also be, you know, that last line, especially, I think people will be surprised by Uh, LSAT questions do not involve any tricks or hidden meanings. Mm -hmm. I think people think the opposite of that novices. Yeah. They think it's, you know, yeah. Well, the test is impenetrable if you go too fast. And it looks like it is full of tricks and hidden meanings. Well, the other thing I actually think comes up, and I was actually just talking to someone yesterday uh, while tutoring. Um, they, people will get rid of an answer for a reason that I think in some cases might be legit. Like it's an actual problem with that answer choice. But it's, it's not like a huge problem. And there's a much bigger concrete reason like it's just like once you see that other reason you're like yes that answer could never stand but in their minds what they're doing is they're comparing their weaker reason for getting rid of that answer choice to whatever you know thing they were debating about with the correct answer and so then they feel like oh 
the the difference between the correct answer and the wrong answer is so small. Like, yes, I see that the wrong answer is wrong for this reason, but it seems a little flimsy. It's like, yeah, because you're looking at the wrong reason for getting rid of that answer choice. And if you never realize the concrete logical reason for getting rid of it, um, yeah, the test can feel like somewhat subjective. Like it was so close and it's like, actually it was really far, but yeah, you just don't see I think, it. I think frequently too, it's like, well, yes, if we interpret this phrase to mean this, then that answer has a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have to interpret it that way, you could interpret it this way instead, in which case now the answer makes perfect sense. Meanwhile, yeah. this other answer, the one Cannot that you wanted to pick, in any it doesn't matter way. how generous you are to that. Yeah. It's just wrong. Yeah. And so I guess that's where it's like, hey, this test has to make, it just has to make sense. You have to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you do, uh, again, it's not helping answer choices, but it is realizing that words and phrases can have multiple meanings and the correct answer when interpreted the right way makes perfect sense. Yeah. Sure. You could have a quibble with it if you interpret it in a different way, Mm -hmm. but if you interpret it correctly, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like 99 times out of a hundred. Um, If you have answer choices anywhere on the LSAT that you think don't make sense, but it's the credited answer, um, you're wrong, one. But two, send those examples in to help at thinkinglsat.com because that would give us great content for the show to talk about places where, um, you know, you hate this answer and you just can't see how it can possibly be correct. But I mean, (laughs) I'm here to tell you that when that happens to me sometimes on an unfamiliar question, I've learned that I'm always wrong. Like I email Ben and Ben corrects it. Ben within 15 seconds, he sees it. Oh, thanks man. <laughs> and once in a while it happens in reverse. Ben's yeah. like, what do they mean by this? And then I say, well, the, this, Oh, Oh shit. Yeah. And we can even, you know, these days we don't even have to ask each other. We can ask all of our teachers at, at lsatdemon.com like, Hey, you know, Sarah, can you sort me out on this? And then it's like, it, they make perfect sense. Yeah. Once you see it. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you have a pearls versus turd candidates or you want to write us about anything at all, please email help at thinkinglsat.com and you will find yourself on a future thinking LSAT agenda. Yeah. All right. What's next? So last week's lesson, this is uh, yeah. what you wrote. It's called slow down to speed up and ask a better question. Um, what was the question you were responding to? Sounds like a common one. It was actually a complaint, um, that came from our, uh, Slack channel. Oh, okay. Um, we have a Slack for all of our teachers and, uh, we talk about our class sessions and we ask each other for help and it's just awesome. I mean, like everybody's getting better and better at teaching the LSAT, including me mm-hmm. because of this conversation that we have in the back end. Yeah. But, um, people were complaining about like, I've got this student who won't stop asking me, how can I improve at speed? 
Yeah. And I tell them, well, you need to stop making so many mistakes. And they say, yeah, but how can I get faster? <laughs> and yeah, I, say, I got that. I'm, I'm getting them <laughs> mostly correct, which could just be half. 51%, which is yeah. not good. Yeah. And, and then I tell them again, you know, like, hey, you really need to focus on accuracy. If you get them right, if you learn that you can get them all right, mm -hmm. then eventually your speed will slowly pick up. Yeah. And then they come back with like, yeah, but how can I finish the section? Mm -hmm. And I wrote, it's a little bit of like a, it was almost like, you know, catharsis for uh, somebody who's been teaching LSAT since 2007. Yeah. Uh, 15 years of LSAT teaching will do a number on you <laughs> when you get that same, cause you get that same damn question. Yeah. I mean, Matt, Matt then chimed in with like, yep, every class, every day, he, what he said was every class, every day from every student. And I think he was being, you know, hyperbolistic there, but mm -hmm. the, 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 the point is clear. Like as LSAT teachers, we get the question, how do I go faster every damn day? And the answer at LSATdemon.com never changes, which is your problem is not speed. You know, Matt was being hyperbolistic, I'm sure, but he actually could be right. Because even though no <laughs> yeah. one's asking it or not everyone's asking it, I imagine everyone has it. thought it at some point. How do you not, right? Unless you're like yeah. scoring 170 out of the gate and you just don't have a problem with finishing. It's human nature. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can read the whole column. I don't want to spend forever on it, but you know, it is. It is so rare. I can think of like one or two students ever who drank the Kool-Aid fully to where they actually started getting 100% accuracy on, I remember, logical reasoning. Actually, you know what? It was Shay. Remember Shay? Mm -hmm. It was Shay doing it as when she was my student on logical reasoning. Mm -hmm. And she had like started getting 18 out of 18 correct. Mm-hmm. From there, Shay quickly improved to where she actually was able to finish or come close to finishing the sections. Yeah. Because she had she had finally realized that the questions do make sense, that your job is to make sense of them. Your job is to solve the questions and pick an answer that's going to get you a point instead of picking a wrong answer that's going to get you zero. Yeah. And when you do that, when you slow way down and realize that, yep, these are going to make perfect sense. I'm going to expect them to make sense. I'm going to expect the wrong answers not to make sense. Yeah. I'm going to expect the one correct answer to be the only one. And it's going to clearly answer the question. Stop this rush through and narrow it down to two or three answers and then compare the answer choices to each other. Like, that's not how it's done if you're going to like really, you know, if you're going to really beat the LSAT, you're going to do it by predicting the answers, slowing down, wrong answers start to look like trash. You just never make mistakes anymore. You get them all right. And once you can get them all right, I'm talking about 10 in a row at the beginning of each section or 15 in a row at the beginning of each section. Yeah. When you can do that, then you're going to find that your speed problems go away. Mm. But you your speed problem went away because you stopped trying to go fast yeah i've called this before the fundamental paradox of the lsat 
that you have to slow down to speed up. You slow down, the test gets easier, then you don't have a problem with speed anymore. It's Flip a side. Wait, what? Flip of that. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to fuck somebody up, like let's say somebody was scoring 155 and you wanted to ruin their game entirely. Yeah, tell them to go faster. Tell them to finish every section. Yeah, why aren't you finishing? Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? You're leaving points on there. What? There's questions that you're not even answering. It's got to be better you know? to at least try them. <laughs> you're not even going to try. That's a fail. Right. And so then now that same student who was able to like, you know, sort them out a lot of them, but then run out of time and get a 155. That's actually a really pretty strong performance. And now instead they skim through, they rush through. And when that happens, the questions get way, way harder because you just, you're not seeing the shortcuts and the wrong answers start to look attractive because you don't really know what they mean. You don't really know what you're looking for. And then the paradox kicks in, which is it actually makes you slower. Yeah. You know, I mean, either you skim the surface and just miss them all. Yep. Or if you try that, well, I'm going to get it right, but I'm going to get it right really fast. Yeah. Like that dumb tip of do 10, the first 10 in 10 minutes. Yeah. You know how people try to do that sometimes? That's a turd. Yeah. People who try to do that, they then, it's like all of a sudden those first 10, which used to be easy for you. Well, now they're hard. Now they're hard. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. You call it a paradox. You said it's the fundamental paradox of the LSAT. It's maybe a little grandiose, but. Sure. No, I mean, it's a core issue, right? And the thing is, is it's true in other domains. So, (laughs) you know, if anyone's like, eh, it's like, think about this for a second. Those military folks, right, who kick ass in situations I would utterly fail in, um, go by the mantra, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. You don't want to be like fumbling around with your gun. You want to aim and shoot and hit the first time yep it's a it applies to the golf swing yeah i'm plenty long i like i i don't have i'm not like i'm not strong like i suck at disc golf because i like i'm not really strong enough yeah to to like physically you know force anything yeah (laughs) and um but in golf it's like well that club face is explosive the ball's explosive and the club face is explosive and what it really is about is just like making good contact it's not Mm -hmm. you know and and the the club head is a few feet away from the center of your swing and so there's like an arc effect and it's like it's a whip right yeah and i swing like half as fast as my buddies do in some cases but i end up hitting it just as far as they do Cause I just like made good contact and I let the, let the club do the work and it's slow is smooth and smooth. It turns out to be plenty fast. Besides if you go straight, right? Like even if like you go far, but you're hooking, right. Then you have another problem. You have to yeah. get back to center and all that yeah. stuff. What other domains does this apply to? I mean, distance running for sure. People have to pace themselves. They have to pace themselves. Absolutely. Um, here's another one, uh, think about, and this may be more related, but problem solving in general, right? 
a lot of people you like you can just think about even just like getting an email that imposes a decent challenge it's so tempting to fire back a response like oh what about this or do this or whatever and in some cases that's fine but in a lot of cases it may be better just to think through this for a half second and sometimes the decision is we're not going to do anything here, right? Like it's that slow, okay, let me process this. Let me make a good decision. And then that's going to save us a ton of time down the road as opposed to a bunch of back and forth that are basically oh, passing the ball around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that happens like every time I look at my email these days, I, you know, it's like I, I, something happened. I, I, I look at the email, I write a real long response to it. Then I edit it down to a shorter response. Then I edit it down to a shorter <laughs> response. And ultimately I just delete the draft and don't send anything at all because it's like, uh, boy, whatever I do here is just going to cause more problems and yeah. it's going to resolve itself. And in retro, you know, like after thinking, thinking through it fully, yeah, no response is a valid option. Yeah. And it's okay. Like after I've thought about it for a minute, it's like, yeah, this is the smoother, ultimately faster response. It took me a while to get there. Yeah. But if, you know, it's like the effort ultimately it's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to let this one slide. Cause the answer is clear. It's yeah. going to resolve itself and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, my my weekly um, newsletter. I really enjoy writing them. Um, you can sign up for it at lzdemon.com/demon. There's a sign up for uh, that weekly uh, email newsletter. We've been sending those out on Thursdays. Yeah. So one more of our free resources at uh, lzdemon.com, and you can send me feedback on it if you uh, like it or hate it or want to suggest a topic. Yeah, and if you um, sign up for Demon Free, you can find a lot of these lessons available in that account. So you can go find these past lessons that way. Yeah, I'm committed to the idea that we're going to have the best free resources that are available on the planet. I think we're off to a good start with 299 episodes of the Thinking LSAT podcast, um, which are all available for free wherever you get any of your podcasts. But um, Demon Free is a huge and growing constantly resource yeah. um with thousands of fellow students and again yeah you can come to my um study group on thursdays yeah. if you want to talk to me face to face when you do i want you to ask better questions that was the other thing that was in this column you know or lesson or whatever we want to call it email sure. that i sent out yeah was when you stop wasting your time and your teacher's time by asking how can i go faster or how can i finish the section just you can stow that question because my answer is you got to get better at the content of the test. When you get better at the content of the test, your speed problems will solve themselves. And so in your classes and with your study partners and the ask button in the demon and just always, you need to start asking better questions. And those questions probably need to start with, I don't understand. Yeah. The, the makers of the damn test have just told you, make sure you understand the meaning of each part of the question. 
Make sure you understand the meaning of each answer choice and the ways in which it may or may not relate to the question posed. Mm -hmm. What they're telling you is this question makes perfect sense. And if you're struggling with the LSAT, it's because it doesn't make perfect sense to you. But I don't know which ones don't make perfect sense to you. I don't know what parts of those questions don't make sense to you. I know there's a lot of it that doesn't make sense to you because I know what your score is. Mm-hmm. But you've got to you've got to ask like specific, granular questions. You know, in the context of this question, what does this phrase mean? Or, boy, I still like B. How come it's not B? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm on, like, I guess I see what they meant by C, but I still think B, you know, and, and I've, you've got to let your teacher help you get over that hump and understand why, because it ain't B there's something wrong with it. There's like, yeah. just, it's a, it's a concrete, it's probably simple. It's probably something that I can explain in 15 seconds, but not until you tell me that you're struggling with it. Yeah. And so when you come to classes, I I want you to ask, you know, specific questions about specific LSAT stuff instead of going big, you know, how, but how do I get a 175 or higher? My goal is 175 or higher. How do I get a 175? It's like, (laughs) Whoa, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Can we start with something that you, (laughs) let's look at what you're struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, so this next one is test 73, section two, question five. It's a logical reasoning question. Um, Let's try read and response. I'm going to read. I'm not going to say anything other than the content of the question and answer choices. And I'm going to let you comment. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. It's an experiment to see if I can shut up. Okay. Science writer says, Lemater argued that the universe began with the explosion of a primeval atom, a singular point of infinite gravity in space and time, period. Okay, so first I'm just trying to understand, what'd you say, Lamatre? Yeah. L's argument, which is this idea that there was this primeval atom and it's apparently a point of infinite gravity at some place in the universe. If Well, the universe didn't even exist. So before the universe and that's how the universe began. Okay. I'm anticipating the science writer to probably say this guy is wrong, but I don't know. I'm, I'm ready. If this is correct, our current observations should reveal galaxies accelerating away from one another. Okay. Um, If L is right, then we should have this observation about galaxies going away from one another. So not just from this center point, but also from each other. Okay. This is precisely what we observe. Um, All right. I'm I'm smelling a potential problem here. If this is correct, this is what should happen. We see that. So does that mean it's correct? Yet, because there is another theory, hmm. the oscillating universe theory, 
that makes exactly this same prediction, Lemaitre's theory must be considered inadequate. Okay, so I like how this second sentence, or this last sentence, I should say, introduces what I was concerned about. It's like, if this is correct, we're going to see this observation. We do see this observation. Does that mean it's actually correct, though? Because something else could actually predict this observation as well. And this is what this person is saying. The science writer is saying, yeah, there's another theory that makes the same prediction. But I don't love the ultimate conclusion. L's theory must be considered inadequate. Um, I, 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 does this other theory have any other problems? Is it like, I, I don't know enough here to just automatically consider L's theory inadequate. It might be, but I feel like the conclusion is too strong. Which one of the following most accurately describes a flaw in the science writer's reasoning? Um, well, I guess my concern is I don't, I don't know enough to dismiss L's theory because right now, based on what I know, these are equally legit. So how do I know that L's is inadequate? Maybe L's is right and the other one is wrong. A. The conclusion is derived partly from assertions attributed to a purported expert whose credibility is not established. Okay. Um, it is true that the conclusion is derived partly from assertions attributed. Um, I don't know. Well, partly attributed to a purported expert whose credibility is not established. Yeah. L's credibility was not established, but this argument, the conclusion isn't based on doesn't need L's credibility to make its conclusion. In fact, it's suggesting that L is not right. So, um, yeah. B, the conclusion is based on a shift in meaning of a key term from one part of the argument to another part. I didn't see any terms in this argument change in meaning. Like, oh, they're using this term in one way here and then using this term in another way somewhere else like theory C the science writer takes for granted the existence of a causal connection between observed phenomena um i would say that <laughs> wait takes for granted the existence of a causal connection between observed phenomena yes but is that a problem i mean between I don't know if the actual the science writer is actually assuming that there is a causal connection between the singular point and the planets, galaxies moving away from each other, just saying, if it's correct, this is what we'd expect to see. So I, I'm not even sure that this is happening. And even if it is, I don't know if that's a problem because that's the nature of, of theories, right? So D, the science writer fails to see that one theory's correctly predicting observed data cannot itself constitute evidence against an alternative theory that also does this. I think this is a little bit wordy, but it's getting at what I'm concerned about, which is we have two theories that are both equally valid at this point, yet this person is getting rid of L's theory. So the writer is failing to see that one's theory correctly predicting observed data 
that's maybe L's theory, cannot itself constitute evidence against an alternative theory that also does this. Um, L's theory could be used as evidence against the other theory. Why not that direction, right? So yeah, the writer is failing to see that. I would keep this open. E, the science writer presumes without providing justification that there are only two possible explanations for the phenomena in question. No, the writer does not assume this, does not say that there are only two. It does. The writer only mentions two, but doesn't rule out the possibility that there could be others. So, D. You've eliminated A, B, C, and E. Yeah. You have decided that D... I mean, does the author do what D is describing, and is it a problem that they did that? Yes. The, the writer is failing to see that L's theory could be used as evidence against the other theory. I and think you're reading that problem. backward. You Read think it the other, the other way. way. Think about it the other way. Yes. Okay. The science writer fails to see that one's theory correctly predicting observed data cannot itself... One theories, not one's theory. One, one theories, theories... Correctly predicting observed data cannot itself constitute evidence against an alternative theory yeah fails to see that it cannot itself constitute evidence against an alternative yeah, that theory. is else theory what they meant what they meant was the oscillating universe theory even though that does correctly predict observed data mm -hmm. it does not constitute evidence against l's theory cannot i guess i'm reading it incorrectly um, yes you are you're reading it backward, but the point is the same. What the author did was the author the author had two theories that both correctly that both correctly predict observed data. Yeah, yeah. And okay, then I they said, well, because this second theory correctly predicts the observed data, then the first theory has to be inadequate. Yeah. But that the fact that the second theory did correctly predict the observed data does not by itself constitute evidence against the first theory which is L's theory, which is the theory that the science writer is trying to dismiss. Um, good job. I'll give you an A minus. Um, you no, got no, it right. that's not good, actually. I mean, <laughs> misreading it. I don't know why. Maybe it's like talking out loud well, or something, but. No, yeah, uh, yeah. And well, it's also that we see it in tutoring and classes all the time. Like I'm standing here in your face, like watching you do it. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so it's just like, it's weird, like a little pressure, a little whatever. And then they did word it. It was very wordy and vague because they just said one theory versus another theory. Well, which theory are we referring to? Right. If they had said explicitly, the science writer fails to see that the oscillating universe theories correctly predicting observed data cannot itself constitute evidence against L's theory, which does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Then it would have made, you know, obvious, perfect sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, yeah. I think that's an example there of where people would potentially not like that answer because they would be like, well, wait a second. It was backward. And it's like, yeah, but you're the one that made it backward. You need, you needed to interpret it the other way in order to then make it make perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I guess the only other quibble that I had been was with a, yeah. um, there never was L purported to be an expert. It just didn't do that. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, A's so out no one did not do that. Yeah. 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 Who purported ain't no proportion. So we could have stopped there. <laughs> proportion did not occur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. 
Okay, awesome. Um, that was, uh, by the way, from Prep Test 73, question two, number five. Uh, these are all questions that are now included under the LSAC's marketing license, which means we can use them. Um, I was going to say we can use them for free. No, actually, we pay LSAC $10,000 a year so that we can use these questions and allow you to use them for free. Um, <laughs> that's all included in your LSAT Demon free account. Yeah. LSATdemon.com uh okay excellent i feel like it's been a successful show so far ben good mailbag <laughs> let's dive into the mailbag uh yeah here's the update this came in just uh, like yesterday from sarah um this was last week's uh email about hey should i you know i'm in a tough spot should i i live in austin and i got admitted to ut austin but i have to pay a lot of money to go there but i also got into university of wisconsin and i like madison better than i like austin but i don't really want to live in either of these places permanently but i got a full ride to wisconsin what should i do and ben and i looked up the rankings and we determined that those two schools are not significantly different in ranking yeah um, and then here's your update. Go ahead and read it, Ben. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for answering my email on the show. I committed to UW. Great. <laughs> Elsa Demon was a game changer. I recommend it to anyone thinking about law school. Take care, Sarah. P.S. I also negotiated a stipend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the one that really put it over the top. You know, I saw that and I was just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, thank you, Sarah, for writing into the show. Thank you for taking our advice. Thank you for negotiating with Wisconsin. And you have now won the whole law school admission game. I mean, it's a broken system that takes advantage of people who pay tuition. Yeah. And you can just make the choice not to pay tuition. I don't know. Not much more to say than that. Yeah. You're going to get paid for going to law school instead of paying a ridiculous amount of money to go to law school. Wow. And, and you know, and there's going to be people, Sarah, at the bottom of your class who made the exact opposite decision. You know, they were comparing, well, I got into, I don't know. I got what's a f school that's ranked 50th in the country or 60th or 70th in the country, you know, I, yeah. Hastings, something like that. I got, I got sure. into Hastings and, but I, you know, and they gave me a full ride, but, uh, Wisconsin just, you know, I'm, I'm I don't, I don't want to sell myself short mm -hmm. and, you know, they're, they're going to foolishly make the decision to pay tuition at Wisconsin which is basically paying for Sarah's education and paying for Sarah's stipend. And it's just, it's just a dumb decision. You just, there's no reason to do that unless we're literally talking about Harvard or Stanford or Yale. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah can be like, Hey, do you want to go grab a drink? It's on, it's on me. me. No, it's really, on you, it's on but you. it's on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Anyway, congratulations, Sarah. Um, next one says, pleasant tidings, thinking LSAT team. I just discovered your show last week, and I sure am glad that I did. Here's my spiel. My alma mater offers a full ride scholarship to a law school 
in Vermont. To be eligible for it, I must score at least a 160 on the LSAT. The deadline to apply for the scholarship is in February, and the application overview recommends taking the test in October at the latest to make sure I receive my scores in time. Okay. That was, on the one hand, kind of good advice, but on the other hand, puzzlingly specific and early. I mean, hmm. it's the weird thing about deadlines, right? It's like, well, on the one hand, why not earlier? But on the other hand, also, you don't need to take it in October to if the scholarship deadline is actually February, <laughs> then there's at the latest to make sure that, I so. receive that. Like the re you know, what's interesting. <laughs> the scores don't take that long. They take too long, but they take three weeks, not three months. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about this this morning. Um, someone was giving me a reason for something. They, they said, Oh, I did X and here's Y. And the reason didn't make any sense, but I think a lot of times we struggle with the reason for the advice we give. Like people do things and then they, and then after the fact, they try to manufacture articulated explanations for their recommendation or their behavior, right? It's almost like this person's like, well, they feel like it should be taken in October for who knows what reason. And then they kind of throw out this reason. It's like, um, if you really thought through this, that's not right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, again, yeah, it's like weirdly why, why, why October at the latest? I, I think a lot of people are going to decide that, oh, okay, I need to take the October LSAT. Why? Well, I don't know, but my, For, my, <laughs> my school said that. No, so. the reasoning. Does, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I've never taken the LSAT before, but I am generally a solid test taker and I've been studying via Khan Academy. It appears that I'm already pretty close to my goal, but I don't know how my results compare to the real test. My diagnostic test was 154 and the two practice tests I've done were 152 and 155 respectively. So three scores on record. I think we should assume that these are all timed tests and real LSAT tests. Khan has real LSAT tests. Yeah, it's Khan's first They have practice. shitty explanations. Yeah. Their first practice test is test 78. Okay. And they and so this is Dylan actually scoring 154, 152 and 155 on a bunch of practice tests. Again, needs 160 to take this like auto full ride scholarship to a law school in Vermont. Okay. Whether that's a, any kind of a good law school or whether we want to live in Vermont or whether we want to broaden our horizons. Sure. So far, it's like, oh, well, that's like a fairly short putt, really, right? Like 154 to 160? Yeah. Okay. I realize I've already missed the deadline to register for the June test, but honestly, because it seems to have worked for other listeners, I might call and cry to see if LSAC will squeeze me in. In either case, I'm interested in trying out the LSAT demon program. Ben, do you think that you're going to be able to call and cry and get <laughs> signed up late for the June LSAT? No, I don't think so either without any kind without like an actual justification for it. I mean, maybe I suppose if you called, got the right person on the phone and literally cried, they might just do you a favor for no reason, but I'm not sure why though. Why? Why? I, I feel like Dylan needs to get higher scores. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dylan, you're, you're not at the 160. Like if you were scoring 165 or 170 on your practice test, then it would be a no brainer. Yeah. Take the test now because you're going to score 160 or higher. But based on your practice test scores, I think you will get to 160 or higher if you prep, but you're not going to just do that right now. Okay. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on Khan Academy's LSAT prep program and whether or not other people you know have found it particularly useful. What do you want to say about Khan? Uh, I, we've talked about it on the show with some pearls versus turds, and I thought the advice was actually harmful. And I've mentioned this before. I get it from Sam Harris, but he's like, there's information out there that's, there's no information. There's information that hurts you, and there's information that helps you. And in a lot of cases, I'd rather people have no information than information that hurts you. And Khan has a fair bit. So I would say <laughs> yeah. clear. It's like that, that Kaplan book that your friend gave you. Yeah. It's actually it's, better to have it, never encountered it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes your natural ability to understand stuff and figure it out and get the right answers, which Dylan clearly seems to have with yeah. a 154 diagnostic. A but diagnostic. Many of the questions make sense to Dylan because they make sense. And that's what I'm worried about with Khan is that it's nice of them to give away, you know, free tests and to try to give away free LSAT prep for everybody. The sentiment behind it is great, but the explanations are bad and the techniques and stuff are bad. Well then that's, I don't know who are we really helping anybody where it's the appearance of helping without actually helping. Isn't that how the world <laughs> is like in so many ways? Yes. Yes. Like these efforts to help marginalized groups in some way and they end up actually doing more harm. It's like, what in the whatever. Yeah, or, you know, like greenwashing, you know, I mean, if you think about like BP with commercials constantly, like they ch changing their logo to green, green and yeah. then like every commercial is about all their environmental protection efforts and whatever. And it's like, y'all build pipelines across wilderness, <laughs> like you pump oil out of the ground and then spread it on the surface of the earth. Yeah. And we burn it and it goes into the sky. <laughs> like the ain't no you're green. I don't give a shit what your green efforts are. I don't know. It's like, I, I, I know that like, I mean, at least from hearing him on podcasts and stuff, I know that, um, you know, Salman Khan is like a super genuine dude who really wants to help people. And I think that the partnership between LSAC and Khan Academy to create this free LSAT program. Well, I think I really do think it was well-meaning. I do too. I, I think, think there's a, very yeah, I think there's a difference between like this, like nefarious, you know, um, attempt to, yeah. to redefine bad as good. But there are all these efforts too out there in the world where people are trying to do what's best, but they end up just somehow the system <laughs> doesn't work out. Anyway. Given my recent test scores, how far away might a score of 160 be for me? I don't really have a sense of the gap. My sincere thanks... Dylan from Maryland. Dylan goes all in on the salutation 
and uh, what do they call that? <laughs> What's the the opening thing in a letter and the closing thing? Oh yeah, I don't know actually, but remember that from grammar school? No, but yeah, pleasant all... tidings was a new one. That's a we've never gotten that one before. And then my sincere thanks. I'm not totally following Dylan's capitalization too. Like thinking LSAT team, team is lowercase, but then my sincere <laughs> thanks is all capitalized. But or at least title case. In any case, thank you, Dylan. I think actually, if you do try out the demon program, at least demon free, boy, I, I don't think that's a huge gap at all. I would be shocked if Dylan can't get there with just yeah. demon free. Start there, Dylan. Don't pay us a dime. Do demon free. Come to my free study group on Thursdays. Take advantage of all of those yep. free resources that we have and improve up to if all you need is a 160. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about like a couple more questions per section that you need to get right. And con might help you understand a couple, but they also might help you might might force you to overcomplicate and miss a couple. And Demon Free is not going to do that. We're not going to bog you down with a bunch of unnecessary, unhelpful, jargony shit. We're going to just explain to you how yeah. the questions make perfect sense, yeah. and it's going to click for you. And I think you can. I think really with just a free account, I think you can get. You'll start scoring in the one sixties like within I don't know a month. I'm pretty confident, Ben, about our. Uh, I am as well. Our stuff. I'd also, Dylan, just oh. consider like if you get that score. Or once you get that score, applying to other places, try to go even higher. I mean, think about this. I stepping back, right? Yeah. Well, Dylan got a diagnostic of 154. That's high. That's a high. Right. It's a low score for law school, yeah. but it's a high diagnostic score. You're probably selling yourself short by going to VT. Or school of BT. Some of our teachers scored 154 on their diagnostic and eventually scored 175 and are now an LSAT teacher, you know, on their way to some of the yeah. best law schools in the country. My diagnostic was so, a 153. Sure. Sorry it to sounds you like off, you've yeah, got it's the same. Yeah. So Dylan, you're wow. starting okay. off higher than right. I forgot about that. On a harder test. I think I took like, you know, <laughs> when I took it, I was yeah. taking a test in the mid- well, it was in the mid, uh, it was in the 20s or 30s, so it might have been like a harder game section, but who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure that it was harder overall, but the point is we see 15 and 20 point improvements pretty regularly, and it's not guaranteed for anybody, but some people are going to go from 153 yeah. to 173, and if with a 173, depending on what your grades are, Dylan, I mean, do you really want to go to Vermont? You're in Maryland now, it says. Um, you ever been to Vermont? It's uh, winter is cold yeah. and long. <laughs> and I'm not shitting it's on different. Vermont. It's beautiful. But like, give yourself options and, you know, like, don't, boy, the easy route into law is probably not the route you want. Because it's not going to be easy once you're there. It's not going to be easy once you're practicing. There's nothing about it's going to be easy. So this like automatic connection to a full ride with some minimum score, it almost seems like a, I don't know, it's just a weird back door. Yeah. I think you want to go I mean, in I guess through the Dylan, front door. It's Dylan's alma mater, so Dylan does 
No, but it's not. See what it is? Because Dylan's in Maryland. So it's a connection. Oh. It's my alma mater offers a full ride scholarship to a law school in Vermont. So it's like some weird partnership. It's probably some like small liberal arts school connected to another small law school. And it's like they're trying to poach the best students with this like auto scholarship program where, hey, don't even worry about it. You just need a 160. And meanwhile, they're thinking, but some of these kids probably could get a 170, in which case they would never even come to our school. But we're going to give them this easy secret route and we can get some of the best candidates, you know, without fighting with Georgetown for that same (laughs) candidate. Uh, Dylan, you could probably go to Georgetown Mm -hmm. if you have decent grades. I'm not saying go to Georgetown. (laughs) I'm saying don't pay for law school, but there might be 10 other law schools that would love to give you a full ride if you... uh, I think you're easily capable of mid 160s, maybe even crack the 170s, and all kinds of doors would open for you if you did that. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for writing in. Yeah, Anna writes. Next one. I wanted to thank both of you for your podcast and your respective courses. I managed to get a 166 on the LSAT and got into law school in Canada. Okay. I also wanted to provide some comfort to your listeners that may have lower GPAs. Mine was around 3.0, but I worked and volunteered for a few years after my undergrad, spent weeks writing my admissions essay, and wrote as many practice LSATs as I could. So that's what they say up in Canada, by the way. They, they write tests. That means they take them. Uh, it can be done. Best of luck to everyone studying, still studying, and a huge thank you to Ben and Nathan. Thanks, Anna. Excellent. Thanks, Anna. Hopefully Dylan can do a similar thing. I mean, if you can easily get a 160, I really would prefer that you just get your high 160s or your 170 something, you know, and really change your life or at least expand your options at a critical juncture in your career. Next email. Hey, Ben and Nathan, as it gets closer to September, I have been trying to narrow down my top choices for where to go if the money is right. For example, University of Miami is not the most competitive school I am applying to, but it does have the advantage of a very good LLM program for international arbitration. What? This leads into my question. Is it a good idea to apply to a law school for the sole reason of its graduate program? Or is something like an LLM program not something to consider until after graduating from law school in the first place? because I know Nathan's immediate response will be to go to the law school that is free. Let's assume the premise that all law schools are free. (laughs) That's a big assumption. (laughs) Which they are. No, but they are. If you decide I'm not paying for law school, then yeah, you're just all your only options are now free law schools. So which laws, you know, you just choose from among the schools that'll give you a full ride. And that's what W is doing. Um, P.S. I first began studying for the LSAT with Princeton Review and can say with confidence that compared to the demon, I would have been better off flushing money down the shitter. (laughs) Thanks for the help. Double. Okay. So would you consider? Yeah. Um, Anyway, what do you think about this whole LLM or, you know, like schools that have these special graduate? (laughs) It's like 
that LL, I, that LLM is probably not free, by the way. I mean, JD programs, you get that tuition merit-based tuition scholarship based on your LSAT and GPA frequently. I don't know about why would they give full rides for these graduate programs? They probably I, don't. I, yeah, I would doubt it. I don't see the the need for them to promote it. I don't think they're as competitive as the law schools themselves. They're not playing that game. Um, well, so I just have a general aversion to LLM programs. Like it's kind of like you're just spending more time and money, yeah. uh, delaying your career, and you should only do it if you absolutely need to. So, for example, I think I don't know for sure, but I think if you want to practice tax law or go into the tax court system, you have to have an LLM. Fine, mm-hmm. but are you really going to know that now? This, this also, this field. Sorry, W international arbitration that just sounds like something that so many people like aspire to before going to law school but really have no idea what it actually is referring to like they want to do something international i don't i don't know yeah, what it is it's the appeal of like going across seas and overseas but people similarly want to practice entertain. They think they're going to go. They, oh, I'm going to. They have a special program in entertainment law, or they have a, per, per, a special program in space law, or whatever. And it's like, no, it, that's because that doesn't really exist. And it's easy for them to get on a stupid list of rankings of best space law programs because nobody has a space law program because space law isn't a thing. And it's like, you know, then you can have a glossy brochure that says, well, we're ranked seventh in the country for space law. And it's like, yeah, all right. That means nothing. Like every top law school is still better than your law school for space law, even though like Stanford doesn't have a space law program. But I guarantee that if somebody's practicing space law, it's somebody coming from Stanford. It's not somebody coming from your stupid, like <laughs> fake concentrate, either of concentration or even, you know, LLM program. I can't imagine that being a good decision. Do you want to practice law or do you not want to practice law? Then if you do, then JD is what you should be thinking. So about. if for some reason you still know that an LLM program is important to you, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if it's all things equal, then fine. But he, even then, I would just say you could you could transfer to that school and take the LLO program there. I would consider more like where you want to end up. Um, I would I would give more weight to other factors, but that's largely because I have an an aversion to LLM programs. I should I would assume I would go to law school with the presumption that you're yeah. not going to do that. I also have an inversion to LLMs. My first exposure to the LLM program was I had um, a friend who was friends with the LLMs yeah. at, at yeah. Hastings yeah. when we were in law school at Hastings. And that program was a sad ripoff of people. <laughs> I mean, half of the people in that program were absolutely never going to pass the California bar exam. It was so depressing because it was like, there were there were students from a variety of different countries there yeah. to do the LLM at Hastings. And their goal was, okay, I need this LLM so that I can domesticate my foreign law degree into the United States yeah. so that I can sit for the California bar. And there were, I remember distinctly, there were some German students, or at least one, whose English was really good. And he killed it in the LLM program had no problem passing the bar yeah. immediately practiced law 
but there were so many people in that program whose English yeah. was so bad. And those people, I know I, I have, I know some of them I knew at the time, I knew some of them personally, and I had heard stories of many others who took the bar, failed, took the bar, failed, took the bar, failed, took the bar again, failed, finally gave up. And they were paying $50,000 a year for that LLM program. And it just seemed predatory well, and strange wrong that you to could, me. Like I just, I could couldn't get over the it. LLM without problems with your language challenges. Yeah. That's how law school is too. Right. I mean, at, like they don't ever fit. Nobody fails out. Of, boy, to fail out of law school, you gotta be doing really bad these days. These no, these days it's a business. They want your tuition. Nobody fails. They do fail eventually when they get to the bar. And or they can't get a job because the degree is meaningless. Yeah. I'm very very skeptical of I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I'm sure there are plenty of circumstances where an LLM is merited, but I'm real worried about the LLM. You know, you see all these like <laughs> no LSAT required. Yeah. Just come to our LLM program and learn about the law. Not good. All right. Thanks, W. Yeah. Hi, Nathan. Last one. I'm an avid LSAT, thinking LSAT listener and demon subscriber. Oh, great. Thank you for both of these great tools. I have a question about law school admissions for a collegiate student athlete. For background, I'm a recent graduate from Duke where I earned a 4.0 GPA while playing a varsity sport. I'm taking the LSAT in June and August. Great. With the hope of applying in the fall to most of the schools in the top 14. Awesome. In completing my application, I'm wondering to what extent I should try to leverage my being on a Division I team. On one hand, I feel as though I'm at a disadvantage when compared with other applicants who have completed prestigious internships. While I spent my college summers practicing and playing my sport competitively with the intent of playing professionally. However, would my ability to succeed in the classroom while playing a sport potentially help me in the admissions process? I'm gonna answer that immediately and the answer is yes. If so, would it be a good idea to write my personal statement about my experience playing a collegiate sport? I haven't worked out the specifics, but I'm just wondering if this would be a good place to look for a topic. I think it defines you. I would definitely write a personal statement about your sport and about what you did and see if that does a good job. Um, how long has this person been out of school? We don't know, right? The recent graduate. Yeah. Those internships, yeah. it's a recent graduate. Those internships are far less prestigious than you yeah, think you're they also... are. In fact, I don't even know anybody who ever had a prestigious yeah. internship. What do you, what? What? Yeah. You're in yeah, college I'm, at the time. Like you got some work experience. I, I That's think great. it's all good. But. I mean, the biggest problem with college athletes is that it's like you're, you have a low GPA and you're trying to, to justify that low GPA. So here you're right. like, look, I did a sport and I have a 4.0. So 
it's people are like, wow, uh, okay, you're doing a lot better than I expected you to be doing, and now you really just need to crush it on the LSAT. I would be much more worried about your LSAT score if you want to go to a top 14 than what you write about. But, I mean, yeah. you should... Anyways. Right. What I was going to say, though, is that these internships, even if they are prestigious, there are so many more of those than there are D1 <laughs> college athletes applying to law school. Yeah, with a 4.0. I mean, and by the way, Duke is like kind of known for having legitimate student athletes. You know, we're not talking about like Auburn or Alabama or whatever, where it's like, okay, like these people are really here to play football. Yeah. They're not here for studies at all. Duke is different. Duke is like, no, we're the, most of these people are going to graduate and they're going to serious. They're going to be serious students and serious athletes at the same time. And the fact that you were able to, um, I actually, um, we got a follow up here and D had transferred from a lower, uh, like not as high ranking athletic program. What happened was D like turned out to be Hmm. better at their sport and basically transferred up to Duke. And got, you know, finished out a 4.0 GPA while also playing varsity hmm. in a sport for Duke. And I think it is an extremely compelling yeah. personal statement story. I mean, I, I think you got a huge opportunity there. You're comparing yourself to other people, which always is bad. You know, with this like, well, but other people have these internships and those are so prestigious. Well, one, probably they're not. Two worry about yourself like focus on the things that you've got that you're bringing to the table and boy when you talk when you talk about i would just be really plain spoken and i would talk about what you actually did to start at your lower ranked school and then to have some success and then to transfer up and to maintain your 4.0 this whole time while playing you know like i'm sure there were early mornings and late nights and extra workouts and travel and like all kinds of not to mention the like high level competitive pressure all while maintaining the 4.0. I feel like that's a beautiful page and a half personal statement and you don't need to worry about not having other stuff. People are going to understand that D1 college athletics are all encompassing. They're going to be amazed at your 4.0. They're not going to give one shit that you never interned at a, with a congressman or whatever. Cool. Good luck, D. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is awesome. And I agree. I totally agree with Ben. LSAT is going to be the controlling thing here. You already have a 4.0. I mean, the truth is, if you get a 175 and you're 4.0, even if you did nothing else, you're going to get some admissions to T14 schools. You throw in this D1 experience Just on those numbers. and transferring up? Because you were doing well, I mean, you really got a lot going for you because now you come across as a very balanced applicant, right? You're not just a bookworm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but get that 170-something, and then it makes it just blindingly obvious that you've got the horsepower, you've got the demonstrated academic achievement which means like you're a workhorse, right? To get a 4.0, you have to like follow instructions. 
you have to, it's not about like, oh, I don't want to do that assignment or, oh, this is boring. You did every damn thing that anybody ever asked you to do and you did it well and you got a 4.0. And if you talk about, you know, you then add in, God, the work ethic and the everything that goes behind the D1 college athlete, you put the cherry on top with the 170 or higher. I think it's an auto admit to many of the schools in the top 14. And it's probably that college athletics story that opens the eyes of, you know, the yeah. Harvard, Stanford, Yale that like, cause 4.0 and a 175 isn't an auto. Yeah, those, admit schools to those schools want high scores as well as people who have excelled in special ways. And this is one way that yeah. is a, and that is a special way. I mean, there just aren't that many people who played D1 sports and got a 4.0. And even of the people who did play D1 sports and get a 4.0, they're not all applying to law school. So this is like, you have a rare story and you have the opportunity. If you get the right LSAT score, you, there's no reason why you can't go to the best, the yeah. top of yeah. the top 14 potentially. Cool. Um, that's it for today's show. You can uh, be LSAT famous if you would like to email help at thinkinglsat.com with a Pearl versus Turd or a uh, excuse of the week or a just any question about anything at all. Ben and I are here to answer your questions. If you have questions specifically about the world's best free LSAT program and world's best paid LSAT program, um, that's at lsatdemon.com and you can email our world's best customer service team at help at lsatdemon.com. Uh, is that too much uh, ego? No, it's the world's best ego too. <laughs> well, <laughs> when we're actually the shit, I don't see any reason not yeah, to I say do. it. That was episode 299 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school. <laughs>